Welcome to Unbossed. We are so glad you're here. I'm Nina Turner, your host, and in the co-host chair today is none other than Jessica Burbank. Jessica, how are you doing today? Great. The co-host chair on Unbossed is a good place to be. Oh, yes, it is. I get I agree with you. Anything going on in your world in the TYT as you are contributing to uh, what our work here? Yeah, lots of uh, work on the bank failures. It's been fun covering a lot of that. We got to discuss that in some detail on Monday on the watch list. And I was wearing the cowboy hat for it, so that was fun. Very fun. I love when you do your cowboy TikTok, the cowboy hat TikToks. They are the best. If you've never seen Jessica JB on TikTok, babe, you don't want to miss it. She takes complex issues and breaks them all the way down with some help from me, myself, and I, meaning her, her. And her. Yes, that's how she does that thing. So make sure you check her out on TikTok. Are you woke yet? Take a look at this. Only 7% of Americans consider themselves very liberal. And probably fewer of them consider themselves to be woke. And so, you know, when, when well, we spoke about traditional. You? Could, would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple of times that I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, Woke is sort of the idea that um, I. This is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. I mean, woke is something that's very hard to define, and we've spent an entire chapter defining it. It is sort of the understanding that we need to re totally reimagine and re re redo society in order to create hierarchies of oppression. Um, Sorry, I, it's it's hard to explain in a 15 second soundbite. Well, yeah, take look, your it, time. Take your time. That was the, none other than Brie and a Joy Gray, baby. I call her Brie Joy. So what you just watched was journalist and attorney Brianna Joy Gray asking conservative author Bethany Mandel to define what she meant by woke. You know, just asking her, you know, what does that mean? Want to make sure we're on the same page. Oh, she needed a Mandel needed a lifeline. I mean, serious lifeline. And this is especially important because Mandel is a huge critic of wokeness. This could not define it. She could not define it at all and was proven to be an empty vessel on this matter. She was indeed exposed. And this is a hundred percent grift on Mandel's part, as well as some of her other governor friends and right wing right wingers all across this country using woke and they don't even know what it means. They don't even know what they think it means. I mean it's one thing to know like the literal definition or the cultural definition, which we're gonna break that down today. But when you don't even know what you mean, I mean she could have just reached behind her, took one of her books off the shelf and just read it verbatim. Okay, because she tried to do all of that after the interview. But check out this headline, which says it all. A viral moment reinforces the hollowness of woke as an attack coming from the Washington Post. Here is some background on that. So Mandel, that was the person that was, Brianna Joy was interviewing, had been asked a seemingly simple question by Gray. She was on the show to promote a book she wrote with another conservative writer. A book that purports to demonstrate how, quote, radicals are indoctrinating young people in America. Mandel began the interview by asserting that there is sort of a woke reimagining of our society that is happening in lot 
in, in a lot of different ways. Spurring Gray to eventually ask her what she meant by the term woke. I mean, that wasn't even a hard question. And we might rephrase, Bumps goes on to say, we might rephrase that slightly. Woke, as often deployed by the right, refers to something emanating from or related to culture wars, issues that you understand as or want to portray as bad. You know it when you see it in the sense that woke is applied to a broad array of rhetoric and actions that share no common thread beyond being an anthema to the political right. Bump gets that right. Now that in lies the problem. The term woke really was co-opted by people like Mandel, the right wingers. It was co-opted by the latte liberals on the left and bastardized by the extremist right. And as W. Camille Bell uncovers in a recent interview about the concept of woke with Michael Harriet. Harriet explains exactly what it is. And this is what Michael is saying to Bell. There's the word woke and then there is the concept of woke. That concept has been around for years. The first time we heard the word woke in history was in the 1920s with a blues player named Huddy Lead Belly Lead Beller. Better. He heard about this case of the black boys in Alabama who were falsely accused of raping a white woman. They were in prison and he wrote a song about it called the Scottsboro Boys. After he finished playing the song, he told the audience, if you are black and going through Alabama, keep your eyes open. Y'all gotta stay woke. Let's put up a picture of the great lead belly. Here he is again. And and just he was just letting them know, just speaking plain to the audience. If you're black and you're going through Alabama, if you're black and going through any state, you gotta stay woke. But this was particularly about what happened to the Scottsboro boys. So the term woke was originally a watch word for black Americans. But see, these Fools would not understand that. And unfortunately, as pointed out in the interview, woke became the battle hymn for latte liberals and used for general self-righteousness and performative social justice because that's what latte liberals do best. And even the way wokeness is defined in the in the in the dictionary, in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, has changed. According to it has changed. So let's put that, put that up. Merriam-Webster defines woke as aware of the activity, actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially issues of race and social justice. But that's the old definition. Wokeness has become the enforcement of a narrow set of values and a policing of language. It is now a method to shut down any alternative options, even those with the same within the same general range. It's a system characterized by intolerance and showing one's own superiority by denouncing those who step out of line. Now, Jessica Mandel needs to go on back to preschool on this because she wasn't ready. 
Yeah, was not ready. Oh my gosh, it's such a beautiful moment. I mean, a really great journalism from Bree Joy Gray. That was brilliant. Uh, conservatives like to define themselves out of a problem, though, don't they? They like to make the definition something so that it favors their arguments. Ben Shapiro went on Twitter right after this, and he's like, it's when all of the disparities in society can be explained by systemic injustices. When if you said, the word most instead of all, instead of saying an absolute, people would easily agree with you. So that's what they do. They try and corner you with their own definition of the word. It should be defined by the people who came up with it, who started using it, and who use it to describe themselves. But if she were to say that definition, if she were to say, well, it comes from folks in the United States who are black, who are warning others about being aware of the violence of white supremacy. Defining the word itself, they would have to acknowledge racial injustice in the United States, which they vehemently want to deny. So I'm sure as she's searching for a definition in her head, she went through a few and was like, it's when you're aware of your country's history, no, can't say that. It's when you're you're uh-huh. aware of systemic oppression, no, that I can't say that. I'm sure her brain was just going a million miles a minute because it's all about denying reality. Yeah, it is. I mean, and and you could tell, you could see the light bulbs going on and off in her head about what to say, what to say, what to say. You're absolutely right. And Bree Joy does an excellent job of exposing Mandel, so much so that Mandel's prediction, you all may remember, she made a prediction (laughs) during her search for her definition of woke about part of her interview going viral. Well, somewhat of a prophecy that actually came through. This video has went mega viral of Mandel not even being able to define woke by her own terms. It's not even like Bree Joy asked her, you know, define it globally. She just said, what do you mean by the word? And she couldn't even do that. And of course, Mandel had to try to clean up the mess that she made, but it was kind of too late to do that. This did not stop her though from trying and Michael, picked up on that and dissected one of her tweets. Let's take a look at his dissection here. So this is Bethany S. Mandel and she says, a a radical belief system suggesting that our institutions are built around discrimination and claiming that all disparity is a result of that discrimination. It seeks a radical definition of society in which equality of group result is the endpoint enforced by an angry mob, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Michael goes on, you know, he says it's almost like she defines wokeness as the opposite of whiteness. And he inserts his corrections, a radical belief system suggesting that our institutions are not built around discrimination and claiming that all disparity is not a result of discrimination, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People like Mandel and the far right have no concept of, nor do they really care about white supremacy and the impact that white supremacy has had on this nation. And I mean every single institution in this nation, every single pillar of this nation, be it social, political, economic, environmental, racial, you name it, it has been impacted by white supremacy. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, America, that is irrefutable. And if you refuse to come face to face with the truth, then you are in denial, point blank, period. With an exclamation point and underlined and bold and put on a train. Not Norfolk Sutherland, okay, that's just what it is. And 
besides her really watching the Bell Harriet interview, I have a book recommendation for this chick and others who don't get it. The title, How to Be Less Stupid About Race. And it's written by the great Dr. Crystal M. Fleming, who is a professor just doing the daggone thing. Yes, she is loving, 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 loving that book. Yeah. Now, an excerpt from Dr. Fleming's masterful book, she reviews and defines the complex history of white supremacy. And here are a few excerpts from her book. First, white supremacy is most fundamentally a system of power designed to channel material resources to people socially defined as white. Second, white supremacy is not just neo-Nazis and white nationalism. It's also the way our society has come to be structured such that political, economic and other forms of capital are predominantly maintained by white elites. Again, this is an excerpt from Dr. Fleming's book. I encourage you all to read this book. She further writes, long before op-ed columnists and contemporary activists began using the term white supremacy, critical race scholars and radical progressives such as Derrick Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw and Cornell West were leading the way with strident critiques of structural racism and its interconnectedness or interconnections with sexism class oppression and other forms of domination. Finally, beloves, white supremacy is instructably linked to other systems of domination. Jessica, your thoughts on how Dr. Fleming, I mean, she, she, she laying it out. She talking to people like they're kindergartners, she breaking it down. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we brought it here on Unbossed. If there's one thing about Unbossed, you're gonna learn. Uh, and the thing about the, the Mandel situation, anybody who is critical of what it means to be woke, I think it's okay to be wrong. It's a good time to remind everybody that it's okay to get new information and adapt your view of the world and move forward. And even gracefully say, we had this phrase when I was growing up, nah, I'm bugging. And it's a really simple way to without any hurt to your pride or ego to say, you know what, I was wrong. And I have new information now and I'm gonna make better decisions. It's okay to be wrong and get new information and be a better actor in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. But our culture suggests that you should instead double down when you're wrong and stutter over your words and then later try and cope on Twitter. It would be a lot more graceful to just say, you know what, I, I have some more work to do in looking into this. I didn't I didn't understand your perspective on this. Woo, we would be a lot more graceful to just say <laughs> I was wrong. Mandel, are you woke yet? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead on JB. Go ahead and educate these people. Let's do that. Oh my Lord, we gotta go to this dude, but we going. Ben Shapiro, school lunches, right wingers continue with their distractions to keep the American people poor and hungry. Ben Shapiro just exposed himself as he does time and time again. And how little he actually cares for children who are hungry. Take a look. If government can protect kids from the sick radical left, shouldn't they also protect kids from hunger? Wouldn't it make sense to strengthen food stamps and have school lunch be free since some kids are in school lunch debt? 
well, I mean, if you are a parent, school lunches are not going to solve the problem of child hunger at any serious level. If you Feeding people combats hunger, genius. I mean, it's, it's really not that complicated. There are just so many things wrong with what this dude just said. So let's go ahead and break it down. During 2020, the federal government made school lunches free. We know that little thing called the pandemic COVID-19, which is not over yet. It's not over, despite what you hear some of maybe your favorite people say it's not over. We may be done with the pandemic, but baby, the pandemic is not done with us. But I digress, the effect of the free meals was really dramatic on the students and their families who needed those free meals. Parents, many of them, facing layoffs, illnesses and grief, no longer had to worry about the cost of lunch for their kids. However, that magnificent program expired back in June of 2022 because who needs to eat after the pandemic? Even though it's not over, I'm just using their words. But who needs to eat once the federal government has declared the pandemic over? Who needs to eat when these governors of these right wing states have declared that the pandemic is over? Who needs to eat? Kids don't need to eat. Oh, they're just not hungry anymore after that. Oh, I sigh deeply. Congress had a chance to fix it. Democrats had the House, but they still let it expire. Did you hear me? The 117th Congress that you hear me talk about quite often has heard his headline from June of 2020 of 2022. Here we go. A program that helps millions of hungry kids is about to expire. Inflation and supply and supply chain issues are wreaking havoc on school lunches. Congress has one month to fix it. And guess what? They did not fix it. 30 million children rely on free school lunches from 2018. Take a look at this right here. The counter 30 million children rely on free school lunch. Where do they eat? when school is out. And you know, Jessica, one of the things that, you know, on the Sanders campaign, one of the programs that we had within our third good Marshall plan, which is a very comprehensive plan about education, was that students, children would be able to get free lunch all year, all year long. So it didn't matter if school was officially in or not, that there should be money set aside and programs out there so that children can get their breakfasts and their lunches all year long, your thoughts. I really appreciate what you said. We have this perverse obsession with complexity in policymaking. It's so weird and it's gotten to the extreme that someone is saying food will not resolve hunger. That doesn't make any kind of logical sense. And really them trying to persuade us that by giving students lunch now, we will have some kind of long term economic implications that will be bad for us is ridiculous. It's unfounded. Of course, more food given out to folks will help resolve hunger. Of course, providing housing will address homelessness. It doesn't need to be made more complicated than that. And it's an excuse for them to do nothing in the short term or the long term, honestly. Of course, we can pool our resources together and provide lunch for students. There's no reason why we can't. But there's a reason why Ben Shapiro's saying what he's saying. And it's because people are more willing to have their labor exploited because they don't really have much of a choice when you're depriving them of their most basic needs. And of course, that's what corporations want. They want people to be willing to work for long hours and low wages and be so desperate that they'll do that. And that's why Ben Shapiro is paid very well by his corporate sponsors. Going hungry 
is their answer to hunger. They don't have an alternative approach that is good for the economy and they're denying the obvious answer and making it seem like the problem's more complicated than it really is. There it is. And by the way, Ben Shapiro is an idiot. Let me just <laughs> put that out there as well. So, so the cost of school lunches has always been an issue, America. This is not new just because of the pandemic. The pandemic just simply exacerbated a problem. And this is a problem of our social contract one to another. As Jessica just laid out, this is not complicated at all. Children are hungry, we need to feed them. Children are hungry, it is our collective responsibility to do something to help them. They could not choose who their parents are and are not. They could not choose what zip code that they are born in. Hello, somebody? And what civilized society, underline bold that underscore that, what civilized society would sit back and allow and know that children are going hungry and say that it is okay. Like that idiot Ben Shapiro, because that is exactly what this man is. Let's just go ahead and call the thing what it is. See here on Unboss, we don't play games with it. We don't have a genteel way to explain how immoral some of these things are that these right wingers are coming up with. America is wrong all day long. 365 days of the year and twice on, on Sunday, as my grandmother would say, it's wrong. What is wrong with us? Something is wrong with us, America, it really is. So, so, so this problem of childhood hunger is real and we have the resources as a nation to actually do something about it. So something that Ben doesn't believe, take a look. It's a problem of children actually starving. That is a child endangerment scenario to which CPS needs to be called. Uh, if you're talking about like actual child starvation, the truth is it does not take that much money to feed a child. I know I have three of them. Uh, the, you should be feeding your child before you feed yourself. It's that simple. There's a much deeper problem at work than school lunches if kids are legitimately starving. If only it was that simple. You know what? Because he can feed his kids. Everybody else should be able to too. too. I definitely wish that that was the case in America, but it is not. Everybody's not a multimillionaire like Ben Shapiro. But here we go. Average school lunch costs about $2.50 a meal. That's $50 monthly expense per child. This reporting is coming from Vox. When it comes to nationwide, let's put up this map here that we have. What do students pay for school lunches in your state? And you see all of our beautiful states and all of the beautiful colors from $0 to $3 per state and it varies by state. At the end of the day, if it doesn't cost that much, then maybe we should just pay for the school lunches. Doesn't that make sense? If it doesn't cost that much, then maybe we should pay for the school lunches. It's called an investment in our future. Let's look at it like that. Let's let's say it's an investment in our future. Or maybe if our children, Jessica, were a bank that went belly up, then maybe we could get some attention and the problems will be solved. Yeah, goes to show what the priorities are. It's it reminds me of that phrase that people always use when we're talking about, you know, public programs that people like to call welfare, but they're like, well, if you give a person fish sleep for a day, if we teach them to to fish, they'll be able to feed themselves for their lives. That is so backwards because right now, 
there is no fish for people. Uh, if you're a kid, you don't have the perception of where your lunch money came from. You really don't. I can't remember that as a kid. You don't know you're getting a handout. Moreover, this is money that people have put into the public school system. These are taxpayer dollars that go to local school systems. People worked for those dollars. Ben is saying he has a better idea for how they should be allocated. Instead, we should have you know maybe tax breaks for the rich and your kids shouldn't eat at school. It doesn't make sense. If people want their money to go towards their kids lunch, they're already paying for it. They're already paying their taxes. It is not a giveaway. It is not something that's that's being done for free. Moreover, if your kids are hungry at school, guess what? They're not going to learn very much. You know, it's bad for the economy in the long term. If kids don't retain what they learned in school in K through 12, they're not going to be very innovative. They're probably not going to be great workers after that. That's not good for the economy. But the baseline is it's cruel to just think that people should go hungry to make that deliberate choice. And and we shouldn't have to go further than that and talk about the long term economic implications of this. Very cruel, but I'm glad that you did. And even the 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 reserve, they did a study on, on child hunger. They did a study on pre-K and how important that is to the ultimate development. And the things that you're pointing out right now, Jessica, is that do we want our children who will be adults one day to be on the asset side of the ledger or the liability side of the ledger? If you want to look at it that way. Now, I don't look at it that way. I think it is the morally right and just thing to do. And your point about how tax dollars go to that. I think most people would want to know that their tax dollars are going to make sure that all children get good meals in school, period. I don't know many people if we posed it to them in that way, Jessica, that would be. I mean, you would have to be a tyrant of some sort to say that you don't want your cut, cut this part of your tax dollars. You don't want it to go to making sure that all children, not some children, but all children are fed. And if children are going hungry, beloves, that means that their community most likely is going hungry. It means that their mama and their daddies most likely are going hungry. You got that Ben Shapiro talking about feed the kids first. What the hell do you think parents are doing? Most parents do do that first. Genius. The man is such a genius. Lord Hammers, let's put up this last uh, this last graphic. If it doesn't take much to feed a child, which is exactly why we should do it. Thank you, Righteous Jay. It is just as simple as that. If it doesn't take much to feed a child, which is exactly why we should do it, America. We gotta do something about the road, the path that we're on. This is dangerous. Let that marinate. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show. Now, after Unboss, you can catch J.R. Jackson on the watch list. So you don't have to go anywhere. Just go ahead and complete your viewing pleasure by staying tuned to TYT. You can do that. And let's go ahead and congratulate Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Indisputable, they reach 1 million podcast downloads. Go ahead on with your bad self, Dr. Rashad Richie. 1 million podcast downloads. If you are not subscribing, come on, do that. Go ahead, listen to Dr. Richie. You can listen to Unboss and you can become a member of TYT. We're so glad that you're viewing, but just become a member. We need you because you. Keep us doing what we are able to do, which is to be an independent media source. 
help us out. All right, to my favorite part of the show, TYT comments. We're starting with our members, Mountain Dragon. Hey, Mountain Dragon. Nina and Burbank, exclamation points. Strength and love from two of the bosses of the internet. We couldn't be more lucky. We received that, don't we, Jessica? JB, we received that. America needs a reboot, a reboot. I agree with you. The fact is America needs less Brittany Mandels and more Nina Turners and <laughs> Jessica Burbanks. I know that's right, America needs a reboot, even though I must put an mm-hmm. asterisk by that. Or you know when those drug commercials are, the prescription drug commercials, Jessica, come on the commercials and they had that real, <laughs> real small print that you damn it, you can't mm-hmm. even read, they don't even want you to read it, but it's there <laughs> for legal purposes. I wanna say America might not be ready. Mm. More than one, Jessica Burbank or Nina Turner. But we appreciate that America needs a reboot. Yes, it does. And on Twitch, Progressive B, every day this intro gets me up in my powerful feels. I know that's right. Jessica was jamming to it too. It gets every me time. Up every <laughs> time. It's hard not to. It is an extraordinary walk on song. C Prince, hey C Prince, Nina the badass, unbossed queen, and Burbank the vibe. Love you both, strong, intelligent women who are amazing. See, Prince, thank you, baby. We, Jessica and I, we receive all of that love. And on YouTube Super Chat, Gary is Jessica Tastic Thursday. That was a tongue twister, Gary. Why you do me like that? (laughs) Jessica (laughs) Thursday, yes it is. And Gail, tell it, Sister Turner. The right wing use of woke is equal to their use of the N word. Just saying. Just saying, Gail. Go ahead and put it on out there straight. And Hoover. Hey, Hoover. Now you going, you going strong this week. Ben Shapiro is a bully who bullies himself into thinking the garbage he spews is, quote, fact based, end quote. To quote Ben himself, not only do facts not care about your feelings, Ben, they literally prove your feelings are warped. Amen to that, Hoover. Thank you all for watching our show and we're glad we were able to get to some of your comments. We're going on to New Mexico right now. New Mexico loses track of juvenile lifers. New Mexico has prisoners that have received life sentences as children. New legislation will require the New Mexico Corrections Department to help schedule parole hearings for prisoners given life sentences as children. The issue, the agency wasn't aware of at least 21 juvenile lifers in its custody. How in the world does that happen? This headline comes from ProPublica, juveniles locked up for life. We found nearly two dozen. The article states the New Mexico Corrections Department has lost track of nearly two dozen prisoners in its custody who are serving life sentences for crimes they committed as children. An error that could keep these juvenile lifers from getting a chance at freedom under a bill likely to be passed by the state legislature within days. This is sad. The ACLU staffer was the one who helped discover this issue and they stated such carelessness on the part of the state government makes it plain that when you throw away kids in adult prison, they are lost. Now the pending legislation includes the following. The New Mexico legislature is on the cusp of passing a bill that would give a new shot at parole to all state prisoners serving life or lengthy sentences for crimes they committed when they were juveniles. 
provided they have served at least 15 to 25 years of their time, depending on their offense. But to do that, the corrections department will first need, you guessed it, to identify all these individuals to be able to help schedule their parole hearings. So how do you lose people like that? And as a reminder, the brain doesn't fully develop until around the age of 25. Extensive research shows and most people are likely to age out of criminality. The legislation goes on to state the bill wouldn't guarantee freedom to juvenile lifers in New Mexico, but it would provide them a chance to articulate to the state parole board how they have changed, including whether they've taken accountability for their actions, followed prison rules and completed educational programming. JB, your thoughts. Man, New Mexico, uh, what a state to talk about prisons in. So. We know that two thirds of private prisons in the United States have these things called lockup quotas. So they enter into an agreement with these private prisons, the state does, where they say the lowest ones, 70% of the prison will remain occupied. The highest are up to 100% where they promise full occupancy in these prisons. So that means that taxpayers will pay a cost if the beds are empty. So the state says, all right, we promise to put people in these prisons at this rate. That's insane. We also know that New Mexico has used private prisons more than any other state in the United States. Since 1983, their prison population has increased 268%. That's disgusting. Their workers in these private prisons in New Mexico are paid 10 cents to a dollar an hour. They're sent away to work camps. Many of them have been sent to California to fight wildfires. So this is where we're at. We are trapping human beings, promising corporations we will trap them, let you buy their labor at well below a market rate, and we'll even strip them of their identity and their records. This is not chattel slavery. But this is absolutely a modern form of slavery. And there should not be a such thing as private prisons. Corporations should not be able to make a profit off of other people's misery. We should abolish private prisons. They should be in the hands of the people, taxpayers, not private prisons. And it is the loophole in the 13th Amendment to the Constitution. If you have not seen the documentary 13, 13th by Ava DuVernay, I recommend that you watch that. And there is a book, The New Jim Crow by Dr. Alexander. Yeah, you wanna, you wanna go ahead, stock up on those things, do that. We're on our way to Texas. We just, we went from New Mexico, now we're on our way to Texas. I sigh, take a look at this. All of us, not just legislators, but all of us Texans have an obligation uh, and should come together uh, to uh, reinvent uh, HISD in a way uh, that will ensure that we're going to be providing the best quality education for those kids. Only if he meant that, he doesn't really. That was Texas Governor Greg Abbott applauding his government's decision to take over Houston's nearly 200,000 student school district. Take a look at this headline, Texas announces takeover of Houston schools stirring anger. Anger is stirred. The announcement made by Republican Governor Greg Abbott 
Abbott's Education Commissioner Mike Morris amounts to one of the largest school takeovers ever in the United States. It also deepens a high stakes rift between Texas's largest city where Democrats wield control and state Republican leaders who have sought increased authority following election fumbles and COVID-19 restrictions. Morris explanation for the takeover. Morris said the board has failed to improve student outcomes while conducting chaotic board meetings marred by infighting and violating open meetings act and procurement laws. He accused the district of failing to provide proper special education services and of violating state and federal laws with this approach to supporting students with disabilities. Now this has been an ongoing mission for Abbott's government. Phyllis Wheatley High School, where 96% of the students financially qualify for free lunch programs and the student body is made up almost entirely of people of color, was cited as the primary reason for the TEA's original attempt to take control of the school district in 2019. Now here's the kicker, the kicker is that the district has actually improved its results, countering what Mike Morass claims, take a look at these tweets from the Houston CVPE. Since 2015, HISD reduced its number of low performance schools from 58 to 9. Wheatley earned a C this year, and the voters elected a new school board. Shouldn't more be congratulating HISD for its successful turnaround? One would think. And this is a political ploy by Governor Abbott, make no mistake about it. And it feels a lot like what Governor DeSantis is doing in Florida, because of course, all these right wingers are singing from the same hymnal. This headline right here, Abbott says schools must stop pushing woke agenda. There it is. Now they need to go on back and look at what Jessica and I did in that first segment and breaking down what woke really originally meant. And they need to pick up Dr. Fleming's book, Jessica. Yeah, it's so hard to watch the news and not or even read the news and be not desensitized to stuff like this. Cuz when I first read this story, I was like, yeah, of course this is happening in Texas. But if I take away the word Texas and the word Houston and really just talk about bare bones what's happened here. So a community had a school that was run by people who were elected from the folks in that community to represent them, be on the school board, run the school. The teachers are from the community. And then folks who don't live in that community decided they don't like how they're doing things. So they took it over and decided to make their own rules about what should happen there. That is authoritarianism. That's anti-democratic practices at their core, what's going on there in Texas. And so they try and make it seem like this school district wasn't doing well and we're, we're coming in to help them. And of course, as you break down, that's not at all what was going on. And of course, they don't mention that this district hadn't been receiving adequate public funding for quite some time. And that's why they weren't doing so well. Still with that constraint, they were improving upon themselves. So it's very obvious this is an agenda they have for political reasons. And it's coming from the same party that's warning about big government. You know, We need to have more local decision making in the United States, but it's only if those local districts agree with what they think and what their agenda is. That's anti-democratic at its core. Yeah, it is. You got to do what the overlords say or else they're coming in 
and taking you over. So there's no surprise that there are a lot of critics of Governor Abbott and what he is doing, rightfully so. And the Texas State Teachers Association weighed in on this and so did the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union of Texas condemned the takeover. At a news conference in Austin, state Democratic leaders called for the legislature to increase funding for education and to raise teacher pay absolutely must be done. So instead of, well, an annual Census Bureau survey of public school funding showed Texas spent about $10,000 per pupil in the 2020 fiscal year, more than $3,000 less than the national average according to the Kinder Institute for Urban Research at Rice University in Houston. So they're not even making the requisite investments to ensure that the children in that in those school districts get the proper education that they not only need, but they deserve. So instead of announcing a takeover of the school district, Greg, how about you do your job as governor and just go ahead and put some more resources into educating the children? How about that? You could do that, but to be honest, that's a lot to ask of a guy who said this during the Uvalde massacre, could have been worse. That's what this man said, could have been worse. Texas, y'all deserve so much better. You really, really, really do. Any final thoughts on this, Jessica? It's just what I would expect from someone like Greg Abbott. Let's also remember when Uvalde happened, he was on his way to a fundraiser to get more money from corporate donors for his political career. This is a career politician who cares about making money above serving people. And that should be very obvious from his decisions, but from his actions when he should be present in the community. Yeah, true that. Come on, Texas, y'all say everything is bigger. It should be better, okay? Let's not focus on bigger, let's focus on better. Texas, you deserve and you can do a whole lot better. Environmental group Sue Willow Project, remember how President Joseph R. Biden promised no more drilling? Then this happened. Despite repeatedly promising to halt oil drilling on public lands, today we learned from the Biden administration that he will allow, he has officially approved ConocoPhillips Willow Project, which is a massive oil drilling operation in Alaska's largely untouched North Slope. There it is, liar, liar, pants on fire, but he doesn't care. His massively dangerous approval of the Willow Project is being met though with some legal resistance. Take a look at this reporting from Common Dreams. Green groups sue to fight Biden approval of illegal Willow Project. Jake Johnson, Common Dreams coming through. The first lawsuit filed by the public interest law firm Trustees for Alaska accuses the Biden Interior Department and two of its agencies, the Bureau of Land Management and the Fish and Wildlife Service of violating their respective duties under the National Environmental Policy Act, the Alaska National Internet Lands Conservation Act, the Naval Petroleum Reserve Production Act and the Endangered Species Act by green lighting ConocoPhillips Willow Project. Y'all better go ahead on the name, each and every one of them acts. This is number one, two, three, four, and five. 
They did that. The legal challenge specifically faults the federal agencies for failing to consider alternatives that would further reduce impacts to subsistence users, precludes drilling and sensitive ecosystems, or reduce greenhouse gas emissions or climate impacts. But more groups have since jumped in as they should jump right on in. On Wednesday, the Biden administration faced an additional lawsuit filed by Earth Justice on behalf of an alliance of conservation groups, including Defenders of Wildlife, the Center for Biological Diversity, the Natural Resources Defense Council, and Green Space USA. What a way to come together. The Biden administration has tried to downplay the effects of the Willow projects. Of course they will, because they want this to happen despite the president's campaign promises. Don't believe your lying eyes and don't believe your lying ears. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. He said it, but he didn't really mean it. You know, all these kinds of excuses these folks gonna come up with. The Biden Interior Department headed by Deb Holland, a former Willow opponent, has insisted that the version of the project it approved substantially reduces the scope of Conoco Phillips. You know what? And I got a I got a glacier, I'm gonna sell you. You know, Jessica, see, this is this kind of double speak that people in this country are sick and tired of politicians playing games. Just be real with it. Just say, look, the man lied. Or if you don't want to say that, just say, hey, he changed his mind. Have the grace. As JB said, have the grace. Jessica, your thoughts. Yeah, have the, the grace to admit when your boss was wrong. Your boss campaigned on this. Biden told everybody no everybody. more approvals for drilling on federal land. This was a reason environmental activists went to the polls and voted for him to be the president. And it's not like he said, okay, you know what? We're gonna approve the Willow project, but we're gonna make sure this massive oil company actually has to pay for some of the transition to renewable energy. No, he said, go ahead. You're gonna be able to extract 600 million barrels of oil, the equivalent of the annual emissions of 74 coal plants. There will be damages from this. So not only should we sue now to try and prevent it, but there should absolutely be lawsuits for the damage done by this drilling because oil companies are profiting endlessly. The five biggest oil companies in the West profited a combined 200 billion, over 200 billion in 2022. How much of their profits will be reinvested in a transition to renewable energy or go towards the mitigation of climate disasters? None. The law says none. Joe Biden, when he approved this, said there are no contingencies. We're not going to require them to do that, but they should. That's absolutely what should happen whenever we approve federal drilling throughout history. He shouldn't be approving it at all, but that's the situation we're in. And so they should absolutely sue now and sue later if this goes forward. Yeah, keep on suing. And you know what? I I'm not just I'm not even mad at Deb Holland. I mean, she works for the President of the United States of America. And when you have a cabinet position, you can get with your principal, tell them how you feel about it. But at the end of the day, it was his name on the ballot running for president, and she has to put mm -hmm. forward his will. But Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, have mm -hmm. the grace. That's my new buzzword now, JB. Have the <laughs> grace, sir. 
to just say that your owner donors are in full control and that you lied on the campaign trail, that you didn't mean any of what you said. When you said it, you were just lying. And to have all of those younger people from Sunrise and other, you know, other younger people who really believe in this and understand the impacts of this kind of stuff on their future, it impacts us right now and it impacts us into the future. So just say you lied. He should have the decency to come out and say, hey, I changed my mind. I think people would have more respect for that. But thank God for these environmental groups suing. And Eric Graff of Earth Justice put it bluntly, there is no question that the administration possessed the legal authority to stop Willow, yet it chose not to. It greenlit this carbon bomb without adequately assessing its climate impacts or weighing its options to limit the damage and say no. Go ahead, Eric, make it plain. Let me just throw this in there. Don't look up. I recommend that movie for everybody. Shout out to David Sirota on that. Oh, We go into Florida. Jessica and I have some bit, we got some good news to share as we round up today's uh, session of Unbossed, a man who served more than 30 years of a 400 year prison sentence has been freed after he was exonerated for armed robbery charges. On Monday, Sidney Holmes was freed. Take a look. Oh my God, indeed, Jessica, that hug huddle. That's, that's. I mean, that, that really sums up how they are feeling. And he served 40 years of 400 years. He'll never be able to get those 40 years back. But my God, if that doesn't bring you joy to see justice finally being served. Yeah, this is some rare good news that we get to deliver today. And I think we should just keep it going. I mean, if we talk to folks in the criminal justice system and we ask them, you know, have things improved since the 60s? Have they improved since the 70s, since the 80s? Because it sounds like we're hearing about a lot of cases where there's evidence that would acquit people entirely that was just blatantly ignored, evidence that they had in their possession at the time of the conviction and sentencing. So maybe. If things are better now, we should go back and review all of those prior convictions. It seems like a good investment of taxpayer resources considering what we spend housing people in prison. I don't know, the cost benefit analysis seems to be in public favor there and on the side of justice. I agree with you, Jessica, wholeheartedly. And let us bring people up to speed on Sydney Holmes. It's just that clip just says it all. We could have ended it right there. Sydney Holmes was arrested on October the 6th in 1988 and then convicted following a jury trial in 1989 for allegedly serving as the driver for two unidentified men who robbed a man and a woman at gunpoint outside the store. The two men also stole the male victim's car according to the Broward County State Attorney. Now he was freed, him being Sydney, because the state decided to reinvestigate which is what JB is talking about, the 1988 armed robbery in which Holmes was accused of being the getaway driver. This is what they found, reinvestigation by the conviction review unit 
found that eyewitnesses identification of Holmes was probably a misidentification, partially due to a photo and live lineup practices that were commonly used by law enforcement at the time, which was described as scientifically unreliable. Prosecutors with the Conviction Review Unit determined that Holmes has a plausible claim of innocence because of how he became a suspect and because of the precarious eyewitness identification that was the principal evidence against him at trial. And this is coming from Harold Pryor, the Broward County State Attorney. There was no evidence tying Holmes to this robbery. It was a situation of misidentification. This type of situation should not be common. The only robbery that occurred was that of the 34 year old Mr. Holmes life. He was robbed. And the takeaway here, how long are stories like this going to be headlined? How many people right now are getting locked up for crimes that they in fact did not commit? Too often this nightmare is a reality for black men in America, especially here are a few. Let's put up these headlines. A wrongfully convicted black man was freed 18 years after misidentification. Or another one, wrongfully imprisoned man released after 21 years for a crime. Lawyer say, says didn't even happen. Another one, Judge Freeze Lamar Johnson after 28 years in prison. Original murder case was suspect at best. Here's another one, after serving 38 years for murder, he didn't commit. Maurice Hastings has finally been declared innocent. We, will we see these stories when we see a change? Who knows, we gotta fix this. Jessica, final thoughts as we end our, our show today. Yeah, it's just going to show that our criminal justice system is not so much a system of, of justice and law and justice are not the same. And that means that we've gotta take a little bit of an investment in figuring out what's going wrong. And I think a lot of us know what goes wrong in our criminal justice system. We had the First Step Act pass under Donald Trump's presidency. And it did intertwine our prison system with for-profit prisons a little bit more intimately while making it seem like it was reform. We really need reform. and. We we need to review prior convictions. Yeah, we do. And I think every state, every local, everybody should have a review division to review and to make sure that people really do, do get justice. Sometimes in the black community, we call justice just us. That is what this is turning into, but we can change it just because that's the reality today doesn't mean that it has to be the reality tomorrow. There needs to be a reimagining of the legal system in America. All right, beloveds, that is our time today. It was fabulous as always to have JB herself right here with us on this fantastic Thursday. Jessica, make sure make sure you check her out on TikTok and make sure you check out her work as a TYT contributor. Now you know what I want you to do about this time. I want you to keep the faith always, always baby, always keep the faith and keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, 
give us a five-star rating.